0: This is the
1: greatest show
0: in sports. Every single game
1: has well, been a sellout. It's
0: better than any sporting event I've ever been to. Major League
1: Baseball is not quite anything like this. One team down south is taking the sport by storm. The Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. The Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas. Savannah Bananas are a baseball team with one goal to make baseball fun. Fans first. The number one place
0: to come to and watch baseball.
1: It's the most fun you can ever have on any sporting event in the world. A senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. A male cheerleading team called the Mananas, a breakdancing coach, a banana baby, and dancing players. TikTok's going viral. We have 2 million more followers than every Major League Baseball team. Now, their game is instant. It's called banana ball. We have nine rules. With a two-hour time limit, a moratorium on bunting and walks, and if a fan catches a foul ball, it's an out. It's part sport, part circus. Whatever's normal, do the exact opposite.
0: <laughs> There's a guy pitching on stilts.
1: <laughs> Everyone in the stands is involved in everything. We're not in the baseball business. We're in the entertainment business. I saw the picture it's working. Well, we'll be traveling all over the country, from coast to
0: coast. We break down the wall between player and
1: fans. And bringing the fun back into the game of baseball. Nationally and internationally recognized.
0: What's more fun than the bananas of baseball? Fans want
1: this faster type, exciting way of baseball. <laughs>
0: That's what ball game is all about. It's about having to be entertained. Genius content. You've never seen the national pastime played quite like this. Bananas, so great. There's a lot to this. Wait until you see them play. And it's proving to be the greatest show in sports.
1: Bananas fans, thank you so much for your support. We love you guys. And Banana Nation, we'll see you soon.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast Devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the podcast that you know and love and can't live without. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Good Seats still available. Thank you for finding us. Hope uh, you're uh, doing well, staying warm. My name is Tim Hanlon, and uh, this, of course, is the podcast that on a mostly weekly basis... Tries to delve into uh, the realms and the uh, bowels, I guess, of what used to be in professional sports. Um, Cannot thank you enough for downloading us, putting us in your earbuds, telling your friends uh, and them telling two friends and so on and so on. We we appreciate it uh, to the max. Uh, We are into baseball and what a perfect time uh, to get into uh, talking about uh, America's uh, pastime because it's freezing cold outside and uh, one wonders always longingly. Uh, in the uh, barren, cold uh, Midwest, Northeast, frankly, all over the place. Texas, for God's sakes, ice and snow and all that kind of stuff. You ever wonder if you're ever going to see green grass again and uh, and the baseball diamond and and all the fun stuff. But, of course, uh, like life itself, it regenerates and does come back. And uh, we remain ever hopeful despite what uh, Puxatawney Pete or Phil or Joe or whatever his name is uh, might have said earlier uh, this week. Jesse Cole is our uh, our guest this week. And uh, you heard there in the uh, sort of a setup um, what we're going to be talking about. It is the uh, phenomenon, and it, this is no other word to describe it, uh, of what he uh, and his uh, wife, Emily, and his team have put together uh, down in Savannah, Georgia. The team is now uh, actually called, of course, it's been for a number of years, called the Savannah Bananas. Uh, and they are the um, the talk of minor league baseball and and then some. Um, and we're going to get into this fascinating story of uh, Jesse and his um, his wife and his team uh, putting together this extraordinary story of innovation uh, in and around baseball uh, to something that is now uh, being manifest this coming uh, year. Actually, starting next week, a week after uh, I think this uh, episode drops, uh, the first uh, tour of any. Uh, of import of this new brand of baseball called banana ball, uh, it is something that uh, uh, he has invented uh, and uh, has tweaked, uh, and you're going to hear why uh, in our conversation uh, in his exploits in the sport of baseball, uh, playing at the collegiate level, uh, managerially uh, in the, uh, um, uh, the the head offices of uh, minor league teams and uh, baseball and um uh, evolving uh to a, a more fan friendly fans first that's actually the name of uh, his company fans first entertainment uh, and a, and a realization a recognition uh that the game itself, you know uh, classic and 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 his- historic and uh and full of 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 rules and and um respect for those rules and uh, and the skills involved is frankly uh, no other, Better way to put it is kind of boring and and can be, has been for some time. uh, The length of time in between plays, Uh, we see Major League Baseball uh, finally tinkering with some of those rules and in the minor leagues uh, experimenting with them. Um, But uh, Banana Ball, its own brand, uh, it it takes things to another level, and it has been nothing short of a phenomenon. Uh, And if you've ever been to uh, a Savannah Bananas game, whether it be Whether it was part of, and we'll get into uh, the distinctions in in a few minutes in our conversation, the Coastal Plain League, one of the uh, top tier uh, collegiate wooden bat leagues, along with uh, the Cape Cod League and some others, um, uh, uh, as well as exhibition games where the experimentation on tweaking those rules occurred over the last year or so. Um, What now stands uh, in 2023 is literally a national tour of the branded version of the game called Banana Ball. And it is coming to a park near you uh, this coming year. It starts in earnest uh week after next in um, West Palm Beach and will literally go all across the country into uh, various minor league parks uh, all across this, uh, this great land. And you will um, – well, let's put it this way. I was going to say, you you will enjoy this uh, uh, very fan-friendly and entertaining version of, of the game. Uh, that's if you can get a ticket because <laughs> these tickets are not available anymore. They're all sold out. They have a backlog of hundreds of thousands of names. Um, but uh, it is uh, coming to your town or also in Savannah, a whole number of games. Uh, but the whole story behind why this is such a thing, if you've seen it on, on ESPN or, or seen – uh, the highlights on TikTok or on YouTube and stuff, um, you're going to see and hear more and more of Jesse and this story as the year progresses. Um, but uh, the roots of it is uh, sort of where our conversation will begin in just a few moments' time. Uh, it is rooted in uh, in minor league baseball. It is rooted in uh, this coastal plain league. Uh, it is rooted in his first experiences uh, ma- uh, general managing uh, uh, the Gastonia Grizzlies uh in Gastonia uh North Carolina in that league the um the interesting story as to how Savannah became um the next uh, part of that journey the story of Savannah's uh baseball heritage and it's very classic well-weathered yet uh, fully charming Grayson Stadium built in 19 geez 25 26 or so and the the, the just the the, the, the total number of, of teams that have played there, this, uh, the, the Sand Nats, the previous team there, when they moved out in 2015, um, Jesse said, you know, darn it, let's go into this market. Let's revive baseball and let's uh, have some fun with it. And let's take what we uh, learned in Gastonia and bring it to a whole other level in Savannah. And while bowing reverentially towards uh, Savannah's baseball history, and you'll see that actually on the outfield walls, at Grayson Stadium, all the various league teams uh, in minor league baseball that played before them, uh, but now, uh, so the, the, bowing humbly to that heritage, uh, but literally uh, upon that uh, foundation, um, reinventing and rethinking what the sport might look like. It is a fascinating story. It is rooted in history, it is reverential towards baseball's past, uh, but it is also all embracing of what uh, the sport can be going forward. And look out America. here it comes. It's banana ball coming your way and uh, we're gonna talk to the founder and the uh uh the progenator and the originator of all this stuff uh Jesse Cole uh in just a few moments time. P.T. Barnum, uh uh Bill Veck, uh Mike Veck uh th- there's a whole bunch of uh, uh of components to uh, this um uh, un unceasingly uh, enthusiastic and, uh, positive thinking uh, guy. And um, we're going to dispense with um, uh, promotional stuff uh, for our own sake and tell you uh, that as we get ready for this uh, chat coming up, uh, there's a whole bunch of things besides going to the savannahbananas.com website where you can see every stinking thing you want to know about the tour what banana ball is the rules? What they've done in the past, the the, the links to all the social media stuff. It's 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 fascinating and full of stuff. It's it's great. Uh, you will learn a ton if you've never experienced this before. Um, you will also uh, be interested in uh, a whole bunch of books that have uh, have come out, and one that's coming out uh, soon in May. Uh, the books that are out now, uh, uh, one's called "Find Your Yellow Tux." By Jesse Cole and the other one called Fans First, which came out last year. Fans First is, is I would argue, more of a, a – both of those books, Find Your Yellow Tux and Fans First, kind of a uh, more business-oriented uh, learnings, uh, things that you can apply from what Jesse uh, and his team have developed and learned over time in this uh, incredible baseball journey. And then the book coming out uh, in May, uh, published by uh, Dutton – Uh, is actually going to get into the story that we're going to talk about in in a moment. It's called Banana Ball, the unbelievably true story of the Savannah Bananas. And uh, as you'll hear in our conversation, Jesse is very much in perhaps the bottom of the first, maybe the top of the second inning uh, of where he wants to take this team, this story uh, to uh, uh, greater heights. And um, timely, interestingly, with what Major League Baseball is doing this year, Uh, bringing in some of the new rules that have been tested in the minors. I don't know, the flattening of the schedule uh, where National Leagues and American League teams uh, are playing more robustly against each other, almost to the point of hollowing out what those leagues actually mean or stand for or historically. Um, You know, I don't know. Uh, It's certainly a recognition that Major League Baseball uh, needs to evolve its game. Uh, But if you really want to get a sense of uh, perhaps one of the most innovative minds as to perhaps how to make the game more fan-friendly and fan-first. Um, here comes our conversation, a wonderful one. Sit back, enjoy, and buckle up because it's it's a ride for sure. Jesse Cole, the Savannah Bananas. Here's our conversation we had just a couple of days ago. Please, as always, enjoy. I'm really curious, and I don't know as much about how do you, who are you, and where do you, where are you coming from in all of this? Were you a baseball fan? Uh, Your your childhood, your your uh, your educational background, because frankly, to the outsider, it looks like this is not just about a traveling baseball team. It's much more than that. (laughs) <laughs>
1: well, you're on to something there. Yeah, we can go as deep as you want. You, uh, uh, This is my first Saturday show, and the the kids aren't here today, so I have a little extra time. So I'll, I'll go in-depth and have fun with you and wherever you want to go.
0: So, okay, give me a sense of your, uh, your upbringing, your your childhood, and, and maybe some of the seeds of um, uh, your inventiveness, because uh, it's clear you've got a personality that fuels all this, and I'm curious as to how that personality got developed in the first place.
1: So do you want to get started right now? Is that where you you want to go right now? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Usually I'm used to open a kickoff. Yeah. So my childhood, I was an only child. My uh, parents got divorced when I was a kid. And the one bond uh, my dad and I had was baseball. So my dad raised me. And, you know, growing up south of Boston, we became huge Red Sox fans. So it was back when they had five dollar bleacher seats. And so my dad would take me to the Red Sox games. And I remember watching, you know, Mo Vaughn and Phil Plantier and Jody Reed and Wade Boggs and became a huge baseball guy. And my dad actually bought a uh, indoor baseball facility, became a part owner of South Shore Baseball Club. And I started training there every day, going to hitting in the cages. And that's really where it started, just a love of baseball, the Red Sox and playing almost every day since I was, uh, you know, three, four five years old.
0: Did you fancy yourself as a player? Were you on that track?
1: Yeah, I was very fortunate. Um, you know, I uh, I started getting college scholarship offers, you know, my freshman, sophomore year. You know, it's it's. When when I was fortunate to throw 90 miles an hour up in Massachusetts, and now everyone throws 90, but back then there weren't many, and so I started getting opportunities at Boston College, Northeastern, University of Maine, and then a a small Division I school down in South Carolina, uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, reached out, and I never heard of it. I actually pronounced it Wofford, but it was actually Wofford, and I came down there. And they showed me they were playing South Carolina and Wake Forest and Texas Tech and Georgia Tech. And they said I'd have an opportunity to be a two-way guy and start immediately. And uh, they upped to one of the biggest scholarships they'd ever offered. And so I took that and came down to a Wofford College and started my baseball career uh, at the college
0: level. See, that's fantastic because it's also uh, – a Wofford's a, a, a really good uh, example of um, a D1 – Uh, type school that's obviously much smaller. It's almost sort of a larger college than it is a university per se. And it gives you a more, you know, I'm guessing a more uh, familial, uh, you you actually will remember people the next day walking around campus and stuff, yet you're playing kind of with the bigs, which is kind of cool. Um, Maybe resource-wise, you're a little, you know, in the shadows of, say, these larger public universities. But um, it seems like he kind of had the best of both worlds in that kind of environment, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, it was, it was unique. It was the second smallest division one school in the country, 1100 students. So, you know, it wasn't much bigger than my high school that I had in a small town in situ in Massachusetts. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, you knew everybody, uh, you, you know, we were very close, obviously the baseball guys. And, you know, that was the big dream for me. You know, ever since I was a kid, I, I envisioned getting the phone call from the Boston Red Sox getting drafted. And I was like, all right, here's an opportunity. I'm going to start right away in front of unbelievable competition and hopefully have that opportunity.
0: All right. So you're mentioning the word dream. What happened to that dream?
1: Uh, fortunately, the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I uh, tore my shoulder, and uh, from a professional standpoint, I would say my wife actually meeting her was definitely the best thing that ever happened to good. me. But good or, recovery. Go- good recovery. Your recovery. But the best thing back, uh, back then, you know, I was, I was getting letters from the New York Mets and the Padres and the, the Braves and the Pirates and getting, you know, you know, all these letters. I was like, all right, this is an opportunity. And then my senior year, uh, tore my shoulder, labrum, two rotator cuff tears, tried to, I went in with Dr. Andrews, uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, he tried to get me back, but just couldn't come back. And so that was it right like that. And I never knew what I was going to do. But and I, so that's, when, yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. But I got to think that that's, <clears throat> so you're putting a nice positive spin on it now, with in retrospect. But what was your feeling at the time?
1: Oh, it was devastating. Uh, it was devastating. My father came down. And, you know, that was that was all I was ever going to do it was a baseball. You know, and so then everyone said, "All right, well, you're obviously going to go into coaching. Your dad was a coach. You you understand the game. You've been around the game for so long." So you know, I went and coached in the Cape Cod League and uh, with K- Katua Kettleers with Coach Mike Roberts, and and it was at that point sitting in the dugout with the best players in the entire country, the best seat in the house, that I realized something. It was my aha moment, similar to Walt Disney when he had his aha moment uh, at Griffith Park with his two daughters on the carousel. And he said, I wish there was a place that adults and kids could have fun together. And that's where the idea for Disneyland came. I sat in that dugout. I remember it vividly. I loved playing the game, but I was bored out of my mind watching the game. Even with the best seat in the house, sitting with the best players, at a beautiful little ballpark, I was bored. And it was then that I said, well, what if, you know, I went into the front office and said, what if we made the baseball even more fun? What if we did something that even a baseball fan would want to come to? And that's where I started my career in, in Gastonia, North Carolina.
0: All right, so uh, for for the uninitiated, and I actually had the, the pleasure of, of seeing uh, some of this, um, uh, this league uh, this summer, actually, on Cape Cod, uh, explain what the Cape Cod League is uh, and where it fits sort of in the... Um, uh, let's call it the classic hierarchy of baseball. We'll get to the where it's going in a, in a little while. Yeah, uh, well, the classic what high- is the hierarchy.
1: Yeah, you got the you got major league, then you got triple A, minor leagues, double A. Then you got the high A and rookie league. And obviously there were more leagues before uh, Major League Baseball eliminated some leagues. But and then you'd have top level college baseball, you know, the SEC, ACC. And then during the summer, you have about 300 plus college summer league teams. And then the best league by far uh, from a talent standpoint, the most all stars, Hall of Famers, MVPs is the Cape Cod League. But they play in, uh, you know, all around Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It's, uh travel and school buses play at high school fields but it is stacked with top prospects and so that's where I was coaching in the summer of 2007
0: so from coaching then in that kind of environment that's just a summer thing right it's a couple of months it's not like a a long gigantic lead league so to speak obviously there's there's town affiliations and 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 interactions and, and whatnot but it's not like uh even a minor – you know a, a a major minor league team, so to speak, that has its own branding and, you know, year-long yeah. marketing and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, so the, the germ is there, the, the germination of that seed is there. Um, how do you go from bench coach or, or sitting on the sidelines, so to speak, into, shall we say ownership or, or give us a, a, a look into that journey. Like you just snap your fingers and all, all of a sudden own a team. And why, by the way, in the South versus say doing so up, up North.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't own a team for 10, 11 years later after that. You know, I became a general manager of a team in Gastonia, North Carolina, at 23 years old. And uh, I joke, the only way you get that job as a GM at 23 is it's one of the worst performing teams in the entire country. And literally, I showed up that first day. It was a Coastal Plain League team, so a similar college summer league team. And um, I it was they had another team in Spartanburg. So I actually was interacting a little bit with them. in when I was at Wofford and they offered me the job to become a GM at 23. And that first day I showed up, there was two hundred and sixty eight dollars in the bank account. And we had three full time employees and payroll was on Friday. The team had lost one hundred thousand dollars the previous year. Uh, there was only 200 plus fans coming to the games. Uh, it was just, you know, uh, one of the lowest level and lowest performing teams in the country.
0: And the sound of the screeching tires in the distance as the person who gave you that job took off. Uh, no, I I mean, OK, so how do you how do you, quote unquote, luck into that? Uh, were you <laughs> were you seen as, as I, I don't know, were, were people were you a mark, if you will? was like, who's going to take this job? And you just were just uh, I mean, you, you didn't know what you didn't know. Or were you like eyes wide open and like this is just opportunity to me and I don't really care. I just want to I want in and be able to get my hands dirty.
1: Yeah. You know, I had some unique opportunities, obviously coaching in the Cape. Then I got some offered other opportunities, coaching in college. And um, but when I was at Wofford, I did a little bit kind of like a, an internship with their Spartanburg team. And, you know, they handed me a phone book and said, sell sponsorship. And, you know, just in a few months when I was at Wofford, I was actually selling more sponsorship and more tickets than their GM and their director of sales combined so I had this I I just I was very competitive a baseball player and so I was knocking on doors calling everyone so they saw this inkling this guy can sell a little bit let's give an opportunity so to be the GM so then they offered me that position and I was like well I have an opportunity of looking at a team that has failed. And maybe I could put my own stamp, maybe I could create, maybe I could have more reins to do things that people hadn't done before, because we were at the bottom, you know, there was nothing to protect or nothing to lose. And so and luckily, the owner of the team was just amazing. And still to this day, I'm so close with him, Ken Silver, he gave me the opportunity to start trying things. And I wasn't able to pay myself for the first three months. I think December is when I took my first paycheck uh, because I, there was no revenue. And I just had to figure out a way how to get people excited about coming to a game in Gastonia, North Carolina.
0: All right. So explain to me that the team, the name and and the Coastal Plain League, uh, how similar, different from Cape Cod League. And again, it's co- collegiate players, summertime. What did you inherit, so to speak, besides the Lack of funds, uh, stadium condition, uh, your sourcing of players, your coaching staff. What, what do you? What did you get? And what did you have to play with to start with?
1: <laughs> uh, what did I get? So we were playing at Sims Legion Park. Uh, it was an old uh, almost like a high school park, a legion park is obviously named for the legion baseball, but the Gastonia Rangers played there for like a couple years in the late eighties. Muggsy Bogues actually came in from the basketball team in Del Curry. They played a game of minor league baseball. That's what they were known for, but no one was coming to the games, little small market. And, uh, yeah, the team, the Gastonia Grizzlies in the coastal plain league after the, the Rangers left, they joined the college summer baseball and the uh, Gastonia Grizzlies were there for seven years at that point. Never wanted to championship uh we're usually in last place or second to last place in the league and then yeah the attendance the bottom of the attendance uh 200 300 fans max coming to the games and you know we had a salesperson that was on staff and another person who was an intern uh the office was about the uh about 50 square feet. I mean, it was literally, you could fit one person in the entire office. So we had just three, I mean, we had three people all set around one desk. Uh, it was a, it was a challenging situation, but I didn't know any better. And so it's all perspective. I didn't, I didn't know what minor league stadiums and all. I didn't know what it looked like to work on a front office. So that was where I started.
0: What was your, what was your diagnosis besides, oh my God, you know, what are we going to do here? Um, like what, what did you, Managerially, managerially, what, what's sort of like your first inklings as to, to what to do that you can actually start affecting and doing versus just complaining and, and, and observing?
1: Well, I, I, I said, you know, just what I learned when I was an intern for a little bit, just, just hit the ground running. So I that first day, even, I just grabbed, <laughs> I grabbed a phone book and made 10 calls. And I remember today, hi, this is Jesse Cole. I'm the new general manager of the Gastonia Grizzlies. I'd love to come by and meet you and introduce myself as I'm trying to learn more about the community. Like that was my pitch. And I am it 10 first calls. Uh, seven people said, no, nope, not interested. And I'm like, not interested in me even coming by and meeting you? Just not interested. Two, two, uh, two said they'd never work with us and one hung up on me. And so that was my first 10 calls. And I was like, wow, this is going to be much more challenging. I can't even, even my pitch just to say, come by and meet you. I'm not even trying to sell you. I just want to interact. Uh, so then I started, jo- I went to the chamber, I went to the JCs, the young professional group. I just joined everything I could in the community just so I could actually bump into people and meet people and interact with people, networking. And I said, I just have to get out there. And then the big aha uh, for me came, I, I went to the VEC conference one month in. And so Mike VEC, I read so I started reading every book. I, I knew we were failing. So I read every book, P.T. Barton, Walt Disney. I literally just would live at the library and started buying books with money I'd saved at college. I literally started getting every book I could. And I read as in Rec about Bill Vec. And I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, oh, Mike Vec, his son has a team. This is interesting. Oh, he's holding a conference. So I convinced the owner of the team to let me go to this conference. And right after the first session, Mike was walking around, ran right up to Mike. You know, 23 years old, starry-eyed guy. Mike, I took over this team. They're failing. They're struggling. There's no one coming to the game. What what do I do? What do I do? And he looked at me and laughed. He goes, well, uh, uh, you got the personality. I think you got to become the face of the team, and you got to get a little crazy. And I was like, okay. And at that point, I was like, I'm going to get out everywhere. I'm going to try to – there was an article written, uh, I think, the second or third month in that local Gastonia and said, my goal was to talk to every single business person, nonprofit in this community by the end of the year. I'm going to find a way to do it. And that's what I said. So I was like, I'm going to get out there, meet the face of the team. And then the craziness is where we started to create the attention. And that's where I started having fun with, uh, as you can see, some of the inspiration for what we're doing with the bananas.
0: That's that's fascinating. I, I um, so. But wh- why do you why was the initial r- response? So talk to the hand or, or, or hang up and, and or worse. I mean, what had the team done or not done, or, or the, the community? I mean, almost seems hostile that sort of initial set of reactions.
1: Well, well the team hadn't—you uh, know—they hadn't paid some people. They were struggling. Uh, the games were just very boring, very bad. It was just there was no excitement, and so. But the 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 reality is what I learned, and as I start, I started getting more meetings. Finally, people started meeting with me. Um, Over and over again, we just don't like baseball. Uh, our, Our employees wouldn't like baseball. Oh, it's just too boring. We're not excited. And it was like, all right, they don't want to come to baseball. They don't like baseball. And we're never going to be the best baseball team in the world. We're a college summer baseball team. And so I was like, well... We can't be in the baseball business anymore. We have to be in the entertainment business, and you know that's obviously common said by most minor league operators. But I was like, we can't just even be like a regular minor league team. So remember, I was meeting with one (laughs) HR director. I was trying to convince her to get uh, 200 employees to come out to a game, and she's like, No, I'm sorry, we're not going to go to a baseball game. Like we'll we'll have bounce houses here, we'll have a picnic, people can have the kids can have fun, but a baseball game, we just don't want to come. And I was like, But we're not a baseball team. She goes, You are a baseball team. I go, No, I go. Listen, it's so much different. She goes, What do you have in mind? like what do you do i'm like our players dance and she was like really and at that point i had no idea even thinking about how getting the players to dance but i was like that can just get her to think that we're not a baseball team and she was like really i go yeah every night it's a different choreographed dance they literally put on a show and she's like oh that's interesting well we're still not interested in coming, but that's cool. And I was like, all right, well, I got to live up to this now. And so that's when I brought a dance instructor to the first practice and started teaching the guys how to dance, which obviously has led to, you know, 15 plus years later, how much dance has become a part of what we do with the bananas.
0: All right. So what what year are we talking now?
1: This is 2007 when I took over and 2008 was our first season in Gastonia, North Carolina.
0: And and tell me, give me some examples. I mean, I think you're hinting at some of them, but so so... That first year, um, maybe you can kind of walk us through a couple of sort of like ahas, or this is gonna, this is gonna work, or I, I shouldn't do that um, because I got to think the adrenaline's rushing, and you're 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 now throwing everything caution to the wind. You're, you're almost transforming your uh, your personality, so to speak, in terms of how you're. Selling and or representing, if you will, this team that, you know, really isn't giving you much in terms of assets to begin with. Give, yeah. give our audience who may not have been following this sure. initial story some examples of how you're uh, ripping up the old and, and put in implanting some of the new.
1: Well, no one was falling back then. I mean, we were nothing. And so I, I had the opportunity, the free reign to try everything. And fortunately, the owner gave me that opportunity. So as I just read over and over again, Walt Disney and P.T. Barnum, you know, without promotion, something terrible happens. Nothing. And I was like, attention, attention. I kept saying, attention beats marketing. Attention beats marketing. Okay, what are we going to do? So the first thing we did was we fired our mascot uh, for uh, HGH use. So we literally fired our mascot, and because HGH was really big back then, so we made a big press release, fired him. We're looking for a new mascot. Brought in a new mascot. Ironically, he was even stronger than the previous one. But we, uh, <laughs> which he was ripped. He
0: had a six-pack. There's, no, of- there's no fact or truth to this. You made this up. Okay, it's just I to clarify that this person was not made it up. legally okay.
1: Completely fired a mascot. And then at the end, that was when uh, uh, former President Bush was obviously his term was over. So then we. Uh, then we offered a job to former president, uh, George Bush, and he was with the Rangers back in the day and used to be guest on your Rangers. So we did this big release offering him a job. We were going to get a stipend, uh, $1,500. Uh, he him a host family. He'd have his own shower and we did a whole, uh, release about offering former president. Uh, and so that was fun. And then on April 1st, we actually announced that he accepted the position and we had people calling to get tickets. And I was like, Oh no, this is not good. Like we, you, he's not actually coming. It's April 1st. It's Will's day. But I was like, all right, we're onto something ironically in june i got a call from one of his staffers uh just want to let you know we received your letter and thank you so much but he's writing his memoir right now he's not going to be able to take the opportunity and i I, I try to keep her on the phone for like five minutes i go i need more reasons why not but they they actually called to deny the uh opportunity to work with us but we announced a grandma beauty pageant part of one of the big things i learned from uh, pt barnum and alan fadden who wrote the big book innovation on demand was whatever's normal do the exact opposite so instead of a young you know, beauty pageant, we had a grandma beauty pageant, which I worked with a nursing home. Uh, it was a disaster in so many ways. They showed up late. It was the slowest promotion I've ever had happen at a game, but they danced and there's some really funny stories from there, but we started creating attention. People started coming to the game, seeing what are they going to do next? And they had no idea. I mean, flatulence fun night. That was ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, so we had a,
0: sorry, wait, wait, wait. You got to explain that though. Uh,
1: so we, uh, so we said we're going to give away whoopee cushions at the gate. We're going to have a bean burrito eating contest, a uh, kids make fart noise contest. It was very childish, um, but uh, we got the whoopee cushions in. And unfortunately, I, I was like, "Oh, it's a pretty good deal." You know, we got we didn't have much money, so I got like 500 whoopee cushions for like 368 dollars. I think that was the exact number. I can't remember. I remember that, but and they showed up and they were like the size of like silver dollars. They were the tiniest whoopee cushions I've ever seen. So the goal was for 500 people to sit on them at the same time and create this lab. But it was like. Phew, It was like the worst. I mean, it it failed in every way. Uh, Salute to underwear night, where we actually threw underwear into the crowd. And if you wore underwear over your pants, uh, you got a free giveaway. Uh, But it was literally the uh, most unfamily-friendly night we've ever done. What people were wearing, it was disgusting. Uh, That didn't work out really well. We had pregnant night. Um, Let me see. That created some attention. If you were in your third trimester, you threw out the first pitch. Uh, You and your future kid. uh, It was a two-for-one. So you and your future kid got a free ticket if you showed up. We had a craving station. Um, Dig to China night where we actually buried a certificate uh, for a trip to China. So we had after the game 500 people digging for this trip to China when finally the woman won. She realized it was just a one way flight to China. No flight back and no accommodations. So we were going we to get her to China, but that was about it. So uh, we eventually gave her a cruise and we made it better. But we were creating attention, So people were saying, well, what's going on? They're doing things I've never heard of. And so that's really the start of uh, kind of the ideas that we started building into. Right. Obviously, now we're doing the bananas.
0: So, so much to unpack on that. But so – all right. So first of all, in Gastonia, South Carolina, not necessarily the most uh, – uh, no offense. Cosmopolitan sort of realm. Right. Uh, so you, you, there's plenty of
1: no media, no media, one newspaper, Gastonia, North Carolina. So it's 20 minutes North from North Charlotte, Charlotte. where we're the redheaded stepchild of Charlotte. No one wants to come down. It's it's a, a very unique market, but a great test market for me, which 10 years, you know, you got to do things without, you know, really not no no huge repercussions if they don't work.
0: So how do you. How are you ideating these ideas? Are these all coming out of your head as you're in the shower, so to speak? Or, or are you are you uh, surrounding yourself with a team? I mean, it, almost, it almost sounds like you need a team of writers. It's like almost like a writer's room that you need to come up with these promotions and stuff. And, and, and how do you, um, with limited resources, I'm guessing, how do you actually get these things done? Because they're not all going to be, you got to spend some money to do some of these things like props and those kinds of things.
1: Minimal. So we, we learned how to be unbelievably scrappy. So yeah, now we have a whole creative team with Savannah and we have writers and we have, we treat it like SNL. So every week we have actually, and I can get to that later, but it's a Saturday night live type of schedule of how we create for every single game. But back then, no, I mean, I learned from Mike Vec and he said, uh, you know, his father, if they were, his father, Bill said, if they're ever in a fire, the most valuable thing they have is their idea box. And so they actually had an idea box. I put ideas. So I started my idea box uh, inspired from Mike back in 2007, 2008. So I actually still have it. I mean, I was looking at it the other day. Some of them are just wild. And some of them we actually a lot of them we've actually done. But so started that then. And then now I have an idea book. And so uh, this was documented on the ESPN uh, series they did on us. But every single morning I write down 10 ideas. And I've been doing it for now six years. So every morning, I don't miss a morning. I do 10 ideas every single morning and so i've worked my idea muscle and now our team does as well so every day i'm almost having idea sessions with i had two yesterday with different people on our team on specific ideas because that's really the, the ethos of everything we do so it started back then i mean just tons of ideas and that's what how we just kept trying more and more and more and Yeah. A lot didn't work. I mean, (laughs) I mean, yeah, the hairiest contest, the hairy man contest. I mean, now you think of the living pinata promotion that we did and, uh, that's a whole nother story. And we, we, a lot don't work, but we, we test more ideas than I think anyone. Every night we do 10 to 15 things at our field that we've never done in front of a live crowd every single night.
0: All right. I'll bite. Uh, give me one from the last couple of days.
1: Oh, geez. Well, so, I mean, we're doing we're now heavy on promos because we start our tour now in a couple of weeks. So, you know, I mean, literally, we're working on uh, senior citizen promos, toddler promotions, uh, dad versus kids, food promos. So uh, how to use animals. So animals. I mean, literally, I'm working on how do we get a bull in the bullpen? So we literally ride a bull. The pitcher rides a bull in from the bullpen. Uh, How do we have a ball monkey? Uh, So we're working on actually a monkey that can deliver baseballs to the umpire A hitter coming up with a boa constrictor uh, around their, their, their neck. I mean, that's just the animal themes that we're thinking about actually having a cow graze in the outfield in the middle of the game while they're playing a game. So like those, that's just the animals that we just did the other day. So when you start getting a theme, then you can really dive deep into it. And then we start saying, how do we execute these ideas?
0: Okay. The reaction from the town, the city, the region, good, bad, indifferent,
1: Uh, No, it was good. It it was good. uh, Yeah, it was good. I mean, we were we were I mean, we just went from 200 fans a game to almost 1000 fans a game the first year, then to 1200, then to 1500, then to 2000. By 2013, we were fourth in the entire country in attendance. So uh, we were creating a lot of buzz. We were starting to sell out some games. Um, So I mean, we were we were creating excitement. But in Gastonia with no media, you know, no one else knew about it It was just kind of this little small thing in this town that was, you know, the town really started to appreciate
0: how was the baseball product during this time? Yeah.
1: So we, um, at first I I realized, man, I was terrible. Uh, so I, I thought I had to get a really good baseball team. So I did all the recruiting in the beginning and it just did not work. I was not, that was not a good fit for me. And I thought I had all these guys and, you know, I recruited, I had Russell Wilson play for us, you know, obviously the quarterback in the NFL and you know, a great kid, amazing, batted at 205 for us. But, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I recruited all these like big names that I thought and just there was so much more to it uh, until I finally let that go in 2010, 2009. I really stopped doing all the recruiting and just said, hey, we're, I'm going to focus on making it the most fun, the best environment for the players, let the coaches do their things. Then we started winning some championships. So we won a couple of championships after that.
0: How do the players take? to the wackiness of the promotions and stuff. I mean, obviously, this is a college league. They're probably not sort of jaded and or, you know, worried about the big bucks per se. But clearly, they're still trying to evidence themselves to scouts and all that kind of stuff because they want to at least get a shot at the next level. Um, Do they like this attention? Do they worry about it being a distraction, et cetera?
1: Not at first. and That's the same thing with the bananas. I mean, literally, when we started, I mean, the first practice before as a GM, I said, guys, before we take BP, before we hit, we're going to learn how to dance. And I had a dance instructor from Perfect Step Dance Studio, uh, literally with the players, teaching them simple jump on it. And I had some guys just say, I'm not doing it, and went to the bullpen. Well, I'm here to play ball. I'm not here to dance. And only a few guys were willing to do it. But the first time those guys danced, uh, the crowd cheered. The second time, those guys signed more autographs. The third game, literally, they become legends, and people are stopping what they're doing to watch these guys dance. And I, all of a sudden, as the other players saw that they were becoming the most popular players, the dancers, the other guys started coming in uh, and being a part of it.
0: So, OK, and so tell me the re- the rest of the league and how they're looking at you, right? because I'm assuming that the CPL was kind of as, shall we say, sleepy and sort of traditional and laid back so to speak that as the Cape Cod league that from which you came earlier
1: yeah and I have a, a, a lot of appreciation for especially the people in the league that allowed us to do all these crazy things but um, yeah we uh, <laughs> we weren't loved by the other teams let's put it that way they were uh, they looked at us like we were making a joke of the game we were making a mockery of the game and um, you know that's That was something that we've kind of seen since the beginning. There were certain owners who were just really against what we were doing. And so that was it. And I but I realized very early to say to focus on who are you who are you for? But who are you not for? And I realized that, you know, we're not for the baseball traditionalists. We're not for those people that really want it to be a structured, serious way. Our goal since day one is we make baseball fun. We've had it on our website since day one. And so I started really focusing on those people that were trying to bring fun to it and not the people that were against what we were doing. Well,
0: and clearly, the economics are, are on your side because you're draw- drawing more people. You're drawing more attention. I got to think that just then uh, business is good. So that can't hurt in terms of the resources for the team, the product of baseball and stuff. But you're also, though, all of this is not you're, – you're not, if you will um, – uh injuring or getting in the way of of the actual baseball product per se right i mean clearly the players and 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 the organizations uh, that's setting up the table so to speak i mean the the arena and the 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 tent if you will of the circus inside i mean you're still playing the game of baseball at this point right and that can't be a bad thing uh given that there was no money and nothing going on prior to your arrival
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, that didn't really altering and changing the game didn't happen until Savannah. But yeah, at that point in Gastonia, it was a real game. There was just we utilized every single half inning to deliver a show. We took our players into the crowd to deliver roses to little girls in in the middle of the game. We broke started breaking down the barriers because what I started seeing is I was looking at everything that regular baseball was doing and all those friction points and all the frustration points and said, what are the things that are? The challenges in baseball and the relationship they have with fans, and how do we do the exact opposite? So we started breaking down the barriers there. But from between the lines, it wasn't until Savannah and now Banana Ball that we really started, didn't, didn't, you know, start changing the actual game.
0: All right. So, so tell me, you're you're having success. You're uh, um, uh, you uh, you win a championship or two, I think, in the in the process. Um, you've kind of climbed the mountain, right? Um, it, so, give me a sense of of what you're thinking could be next for you and or the team, um, and maybe a little bit of a, a quickie story on the th- I, let's I guess the event that kind of changed your course from there, right? Which is uh, in minute two of the video that's on your website, right? <laughs> yeah, the. Uh...
1: We start I started on this vision. So yes, I met Emily and uh, and my wife. And it was funny. I was hosting. This is how I guess uh, we hosted a conference our first year or second year in, in Gastonia. And it was funny. I was was like, we've only I've only been doing it a year, but we hosted a conference inviting other teams. But I was really just doing it to try to get other teams to come to learn from them. But I'm like, we're hosting a conference. We're going to share some of the craziness and the fun. We're bringing everyone else. And so I hosted a conference and we got some minor leagues to come. And I was talking about our grandma beauty pageants and how we we got senior citizens to be a part of it and sharing all this. And uh, uh, a woman in the industry, Amy Venuto, left. She was at the conference. She left the conference, walked out and called Emily uh, McDonald at the time who she, Emily worked for her with the Augusta green jackets and said, I just met the guy you're going to marry. And <laughs> Emily's like, what? She goes, he's got the same energy, the same enthusiasm. He loves what he's doing. You guys are going to get married. And Emily's like, all right, Amy, cool down. You know, she was 23 years old at the point or whatever. And, uh, well, a- Amy's like, just, just get in touch with Jesse. Talk to him about these things they're doing. And so we just started connecting and talking and we met at a minor league conference. And, We were like, we got to do this together. And so she joined our team, Emily, and became our director of fun, I think, in 2011, 2012. And we just started saying we couldn't stop talking about it. And we were thinking, all right, you know, can we develop an empire and have a bunch of different teams and just bring this all over the country? And we actually tried that for a little bit. We ran a team in Martinsville, Virginia, and we helped out with a team in Forest City that the owner had. And what we realized is when we spread ourselves too thin – We weren't able to deliver the same type of show, same type of experience. And so that, you know, quickly kind of started fading away from us. But there was a point where we got really, really close. And, uh, you know, we started dating and I proposed to her in front of a sold out crowd in the yellow tuxedo that I wear all the time. And uh, she said yes, which thank goodness that would have been really awkward and uncomfortable. But we had a, a uh, you know thirty minute fireworks show in the middle of the game, so the umpires and the players are just watching this. I'm like, this is our moment. We're taking and cared about the fans. And she said yes. And then yeah, uh, lo and behold, later that night, um, she planned a trip to go to Savannah, Georgia. She knew I'd never been there, and she said, you just got this ring, to this epic proposal. Let's the season's over now in 2014. Let's go to Savannah. And so we. She took me to Savannah. We fell in love with the city and we found out they had a minor league baseball game and we're always ballpark junkies. So we got to go see the field. And we walked into Grayson Stadium and the New York Mets affiliate was playing. And we walk in see the brick columns and you could feel the history of the ballpark. And I just fell in love. And I walked up the the stairs and I looked out. The game was about to start and there was less than 200 people in the stadium. And it was an 80 degree night. Perfect. Not a cloud in the sky. And it was one of the deadest environments I've ever seen in sports. And at that point, I said, if this team ever leaves, we have to come here. And lo and behold, they wanted a thirty eight million dollar stadium from the city. The city said no. And we convinced the city to give us a shot.
0: And keep the old state. So what um, is is are the Mets the evil one in that story for them uh, for that blowing up? (laughs)
1: <laughs> I will never say anyone's an evil one. Uh, I, I will say it was uh, the, the a lot of people would say the Mets were maybe asking for something or the the owner of the team was asked for something that, you know, really wasn't warranted, that they weren't drawing that many fans, even at this regular stadium. And, you know, there wasn't that su- support uh, to build it. So then they left and. Fortunately, it was the best thing that ever happened to us from a professional standpoint.
0: All right. So what year is this and and how does this this happen? Because if, if there's all discussion about the stadium and all that stuff, because frankly, you're describing almost two themes that are almost counterintuitive given, and we'll get to this sort of near the end of the conversation around where the business of baseball is going, right? One is, you know, by saying that you don't want to necessarily own a bunch of different teams and kind of manage them sort of as a portfolio. Um, that almost sounds uh, counter to where private equity entities and, and the boom in sports it's going right now, it's all about growth and stuff, right? You you think actually, it seems like more and more people are trying to do that model. Number two, um, the stadium ugh, fleece. I mean, uh, you know, I've become very cynical uh, in my readings about sort of how uh, cities get shaken down, right? Uh, especially taxpayer money and all that kind of stuff uh, for stadiums and the... the The questionable sometimes economics, or the the benefit that's supposed to come to the communities when these new stadiums are built and stuff, and more often than not, they tend to be more, you know, uh, financial overhangs that uh, don't do the things that are originally promised. So I guess the thought there is that are you looked as you as you as you move into Savannah, are you looked as a savior of this old stadium, or is it inevitable that a stadium conversation would come around again, or are you just like? I love this market. I can make this old ballpark work. And I just just let me add it. And then then we'll talk about the rest of it later someday.
1: Yeah, it's it's all it's all perspective. I mean, for us, it was (laughs) uh, compared to the ballpark we were playing in Gastonia. This looked like a cathedral. I mean, this looked like a major league stadium. It's like, wait, there's a there's a merchandise store. Wait, they have like real locker rooms and showers like we were just I mean the kids that were like blown away We couldn't there's storage space and now in retrospect There's very little of that compared to what we need based on the demand, but it was all perspective and yeah, to say, you know, obviously in the business side, everything we do is counterintuitive. So, you know, to think of everyone's looking at growing this way, we're the opposite. I mean, literally, I'm at the ballpark right now and looking out at a field We're the only stadium in the, in the world that has zero advertising, like we eliminated that and we only have one ticket and we don't have digital scoreboards or suites. So everything we do is counterintuitive and that's how we build fans. But the reality is at that point, it was this ballpark is special. We love it can we save baseball here? We're not thinking about a new stadium. We're thinking about saving Grayson Stadium, except in the local community, it was looked like as a failure. They had professional baseball for 90 years. Now they're going to a college summer team, unproven. No one knows who us. Basically what Savannah thought is they lost baseball. Even though they got us, they lost baseball. And that's where, you know, the real struggles happened. You know, we showed up that first day, myself, my wife, Jared, our 24-year-old team president and three 22-year-olds straight out of college. And the former team had cut the phone lines. They cut the internet lines. I mean, they took everything out of the stadium. There was no furniture, nothing left. So we grabbed a picnic table and used our cell phones and started calling people in the community. And the community was not excited for us. I mean, literally it was, it was bad. Uh, you know, we only sold a handful of tickets in our first few months. And by just six months later, we, I got the phone call that we overdrafted our account and we were completely out of money. And you know, we had nothing left, and my wife and I had to sell our house and empty out our savings account, and we were sleeping on an airbed. And so that was just seven years ago. Crazy to think.
0: So that, so that's very interesting because I mean, the the it does that's that really is is perspective because I mean, if you just look at the the the, uh, the chart of of the teams plural that were had been in Savannah, it almost seems like it is sort of a a slow but but sure um, uh, on a release of air from the baseball balloon, if you will. I mean, this is you know, this is a stadium. Uh, filled with teams, you know. Going back to uh, when was the stadium built? Like twenty six, nineteen yep. twenty seven. I think it's like yep. a, a like a, a pre or a Works Progress Administration kind of kind of construct. So uh, it, that's a very interesting dynamic because it it probably seems to the the long standing citizenry there that um, you know you're, you're now only a, a two or three month kind of collegiate league, and it's not even sort of a regular minor league kind of thing. So. It sounds to me like most people have, have pretty much already given up on whatever baseball was or could be by the time you arrive. That's got to be even worse of a start than what you had in was, Gastonia. Oh,
1: it was brutal. I mean, literally, there were rumors going on. We were meeting with restaurants, and it's like, yeah, you know, we heard you're not serving alcohol at all at your games. I'm like, no, we will have alcohol. We'll have beer. And they're like, no, we heard you're not. And I'm like, they wouldn't even believe us when we said, they're like, you college summer, you can't. I'm like, no, there's going to be drinks. There's going to be fun. It's going to, like, it was just constant trying, I mean, to beg. I mean, we would drive an hour to try to sell 10 tickets to meet with someone. I mean, it was... Uh, so many people that would join we we're hiring a full-time person every single week. Our staff is bigger than we ever imagined. We just, it's crazy what's happened, but none of them know what it was like. You know, I had dinner with uh, one of our interns who was with us our first year and he's like, no one knows what it's like starting the fire. I mean, he goes, I used to be our mascot literally almost every day and just go to job fairs or go to anything just to try to get people excited. And it was, I mean, it was really bad. And when me and Emily were sleeping on the airbed and we were only, we only had $30 a week to grocery shop. That's all we had. Every dollar we had was in the team, and it was it was really challenging and I had to then really channel the Walt Disney and PT Barnum and say what would these guys do because we had to get much we had to do something big if we wanted to you know keep the team going
0: all right two things and, and by the way I for for our audience I mean the Savannah Indians the Savannah Braves uh, of the the Atlanta uh, uh, um, uh, system uh the, the Cardinals and the former Sand nets which I think were the team, prior to you arriving, which were part of the Mets organization. I mean, you know, Savannah has been part of baseball since literally before, you know, during during the Depression. Right. So um, it's really saying something that that uh, not only is the stadium still. So okay, a couple of questions. Number one, state status of the stadium, how much uh, uh, uh Upgrading, so to speak, or, or at least uh, uh, bringing things to par, did you need to do? And where, where are you getting at least the, the shekels to even get that done, like the internet connections and that kind of stuff? Oh, geez. We didn't have anything. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, you know, it was. I mean, know, did you have to do rework to the seats? I mean, was it like, I mean,
1: I, I mean, the stadium, the stadium was used the previous year. So the, 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 you know, it was used in minor league baseball in 2015. So the, the seats still, they were all good. Um, we didn't have any equipment. So we, the city helped us a little bit. There was a few like grills that were left over. Um, I mean, we had, we had, we were working with nothing. And so we—that's when it was just like, "Hey, we—we got to come up with a model or create something to create excitement to to get people to want to come to these games."
0: Okay, and then the upon the arrival. All right, so all right, before we get to the the, the naming thing, um, at what point do you and your wife start to question the decision? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You or or, know or was it or you just I've, both I've,
0: I've, so wired similarly that you just didn't know or care? Well, or just,
1: well, the, the boats were burned. I mean, I I, I remember vividly. I, people always ask me, bring back to those moments. And, you know, I, we didn't sleep much. We were on an airbed, which is not good sleeping. And uh, there were many nights where we'd only sleep a couple hours. And literally two or three in the morning, we'd just get up and just start walking and just go out and just walk. And often we didn't even talk. We would just walk and we would be thinking. And uh, it was – we had no other options and it wasn't just me myself and emily it was jared our 24 year old team president who left a minor league team to join us and 3 22 year olds that right out of college you know they convinced their parents to let them take a chance on this new team and then everyone else we were looking to hire we had a huge responsibility uh, and yes we had also a huge amount of debt we were seven figures in debt so there were no questions of like hey well what are we get? it was just like we got to find a way, got to find a way, got to find a way. And that's where I went really deep in reading and researching and thinking about anyone who would create attention, get people excited. And that's kind of we just had to, had to come up with a plan.
0: All right. So I'm guessing one of the first things, if not the first thing, was the idea of the name. Do you want to tell us about that and why and how that comes about?
1: But it was actually the name. People don't realize before that we named the company Fans First Entertainment. And when we named it, it was a much bigger thing than just naming a company. I mean, you have so many different owners of teams, they're called so-and-so, so-and-so. And it, the name was so intentional and everything we do is unbelievably intentional. So we named, if we're naming our fans first entertainment, we realize that every decision we have to make is fans first. We have to literally think our mission is fans first, entertain always with everything we do. And so one of the big things before we even announced the name, we said, one thing I really hate about going to a sporting event is how you get nickel and dimed. You literally come and pay your ticket fees, your convenient fees, your service fees, your taxes, your parking fees, $7 for this, $6 for this, $8 for a burger. Nine. And I said, guys, before we even came, I said, we're going to develop a model where it's an all-inclusive ticket, no ticket fees, no service fees, no convenient fees. We pay your taxes, all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert, everything is included for $15 total. And we all look at each other like, like, everyone was like, you can't do that. I'm like... Why can't we we got to get people excited and do something different and like but no one's doing that like some people have like an all you can for a couple hours and they do it for a certain group section but the whole ballpark I go yes the whole ballpark and so we made that decision beforehand and so we started making decisions on how we're going to create a fans first experience but that didn't get everyone excited you know they were still like oh you know we don't even know your team name so then we had to come up with the team name and that was we asked the city uh, everyone in the city, uh, we did a big launch event. And I say big a launch event because we actually literally went door to door with invitations. Uh, our you know our little staff literally went all around the town. We called everyone. Invitations, free food, free alcohol, free drinks. Come out and we're just going to announce what's going on with the team. Thousands of invitations went out. We had 100, about 180, 80 90, 100 max people that showed up. They had us set up at the giant conference center. And it was this room that was half like just completely empty we're talking it's embarrassing we show a video of some of the things we've done in gastonia fine we said we want a a name for this team and we want you to help but we don't want a generic name we don't want to be something like a regular animal a regular thing we want to be something completely different and outrageous and they put it out in the newspaper and all of a sudden we started getting completely normal and generic names the ports the anchors the sailors the spirits hundreds of those until one we saw the bananas and it was a 62 year retired nurse, Lynn Moses, and she sent bananas. And we just started going to town on thinking of all the crazy things we could do with it. And, uh, you know, we could have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas. You know, we could have a male cheerleading team called the Mananas. You know, we could have a mascot named Split Go Bananas. We could do a music video to Can't Stop the Peeling. We could throw bananas in people's pants and call it Banana in the Pants. We could do banana-themed drinks, banana-themed food. We just started thinking of all the options. We, we could build a brand. That's not just naming a team thing and having a logo. We could build a brand that extends. And so we decided we were going to do it, but we knew we were going to get criticized. So Emily and I actually spent two days with our staff, coaching our staff how to handle the criticism. And it was very funny because we were acting like angry fans, which, as lo and behold, when we announced the name, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's,
0: so the, that's ingenious and, frankly, uh. uh, uh uh, from a business perspective, uh, uh, very ingenious and smart, right? To anticipate the negativity of that, right? But because Savannah's a, I mean, I explain the Savannah market to, to people who don't know or have never been there, because it's a beautiful place, um, but it's it's also kind of quaint and and it's got a history and charm to it, and and it's not it, something as as um, I want to say garish, but as, as jolting as a name change like this is probably. It just just gonna be a no just from hearing it versus understanding the story behind it.
1: Savannah' is a very proud city. It's very historic. A ton of, uh, I mean, charm and beauty. And, you know, you look at places, landmarks that have been here for a long time. Um, But it's also unique and it's also different. And it is a little quirky. But when you look at, you know, all the names, the names have been really kind of generic and stayed true to, uh, you know, what the city is. And so, yeah, you're right. We knew it was going to be jarring because there's no (laughs) everyone's like, what does Savannah have to do with bananas? Is it just because it rhymes? And I'm like, well, it's bigger than that. But, yes, there's nothing, nothing that bananas, it's not like we like we're importing bananas in Savannah, but yeah, fifteen million tourists come here a year. I mean, it's a very beautiful area that's loved, but the bananas is almost to what many people would say making a mockery of the city.
0: And how did you internally and then externally deal with the negativity?
1: Well, I mean, we, so we got ready February 25th, 2016. And we were getting ready to launch the the, the name. And we had a big event. Or I always say big event. we had 200 people show up. But uh, it, it, we were ready for a big event. And uh, the first shipment of t-shirts came in the week before. And there were actually too many N's in bananas. We misspelled bananas on the first shipment of t-shirts that came to us. So there was – people don't even know the amount of disasters we have. Hats never got there in time. And so literally about an hour before we announced, we're like – we can't sell hats. And I was like, well, just put pictures of the mock-ups of the hats on the website. And our team's like, but you can't get out and say shipping in May. And I was like, just put it on there to say like, so like we're going to have hats. We just don't have them now. I mean, it was a disaster. Um, and so, but when we announced the name, we actually brought in ringers. So people don't (laughs) realize. so we brought in our spouses, significant others, our friends, and we told them, when we announced the name and we show the video, just start cheering. And they were like, "Real." I'm like, listen, my biggest fear is not necessarily people booing. It's just dead silence. I go, I don't want silence. And so we brought in maybe like 15, 20 of our friends and family members. And as soon as the name come out, you heard them cheer. But then the rest of the people you heard booing. And it was just the most interesting moment. But what happened within 25, 30 minutes, uh, it was number one trending on Twitter. There was a Republican debate that night. It was a lot of things going on. The Savannah bananas were number one trending on Twitter. SportsCenter called it the logo of the year. Nationally, people were like, this is so fun. But locally, like, you just made a joke out of our city. Uh, a year later, we actually released a mean tweet video of all the negative comments. The owner should be thrown out of town. You're an embarrassment to this city. Uh, whoever came up with his name should be fired. I mean, it was bad. You know, the next day we're walking through town and we're getting booed because we're wearing banana shirts. I mean, it was so the question was, how do we deal with it? I didn't sleep at all. But Emily's like, Jesse, this is what you always say. Like, we need to do this. We need to get attention. We need people to at least know we're here. Now people at least know we have a team. That's the first step. And I believe it now more than anything. If you want the hearts of your customers or your fans, you have to first get the eyes and the ears. And many teams struggle with getting the eyes and the ears. And that's what at that point, uh, as tough as it was, we were able to do that.
0: But you, okay, but you were quick out of the gate, though, both on and off the field of the not only the attention that you were getting, right? But I, I got to think that the you converted a lot of people pretty quickly, given how quickly successful you were winning a league championship that first year. Uh, uh, you were named, uh, uh, you know, organization of the year by various sources and stuff, the generation of, of all this attention nationwide, which is probably a little bit more forgiving and or curious than, say, the the uh the the current residents and stuff when did you kind of feel like you know what i think we're truly i mean besides your wife encouraging you which is enormously important right because others other mere mortals might uh, uh just uh shrink in the background uh in the in the face of all that stuff aside from your intestinal fortitude when did you kind of know that you know we're really we are onto something here and and and, and this, the negativity is really more the, the minority than anything else.
1: Uh, opening night. And so actually, here's, here's a little aside, too. So when we announced the team name, now again, Savannah had never sold out games. They never had really more than 1,000 fans. So when we announced the team name, we also announced, and we just want to let you know, also, uh, we have one game that's already completely sold out. There are no tickets. And people were like, what? And I was like, sorry, the game's already sold out. And people didn't know, like, they, they didn't believe us. They were like, they don't like, completely sold out. So this game you can't go to anymore, but there's a few other games. And we announced that. And people didn't realize we convinced the hospital to buy 3,000 plus tickets for one game. So, uh, and they bought them. They paid a full price. And so we sold out one game. That was part of creating demand, saying that, hey, hey, we have a team name that maybe people don't like. But people actually want to come to these games, even though it's the hospital buying it out. So we announced that. And then people started saying, say, oh, wow. So finally, like, we sold out opening night. And I, I think people were just like, what are they going to do? Is it going to fail? What is this team? I just got to be there. And so opening night was when I knew because um, now, first of all, we were wearing green uniforms because we weren't quite right. So we uh, <laughs> we. Uh, True story we every opening night we actually wear green uniforms to start the year But so uh, and we had yellow bases and we had a banana baby We literally put a six-month-old in a baby costume and lifted the baby up at home plate and saying nah Savannah and and we let we we, we start we, we thought again it goes back to the idea the idea time and working my idea Muscle in Gastonia, so we started putting a ton of ideas in play So but unfortunately it started raining like right before and I was like this is an omen It's pouring Savannah rain people literally flood into the stadium because we didn't know how to, we never worked a game. So they came to the stadium. We weren't ready. We're doing all you can eat. Everyone's trying to eat at the same point. We didn't realize we we're gonna go through 10,000 pieces of meat. People are waiting two hours plus to eat. It was a terrible experience in that sense. But the middle of the rain delay, I, I go to the Banana Nanas. I go, guys, can you make your debut? And they go, well, Jesse, it's raining. And I go, even better. If you go out on the rain and dance, people are gonna lose their minds. And they go, let's do it. And they went out and did a line dance and the tarps on the field and they're on the grass. And I looked and saw people just go nuts. And everyone had their camera up and everyone's I'm like, okay, we're on to something. And then the rain delay continues. And I say, players, guys, can you go in the crowd and deliver roses to all the little girls? We had like a couple dozen roses. I was like, all right, let's put on the show while it's raining. And people are like having fun in in the rain delay and no one's leaving. The game didn't start till about 830. And I don't know if 100 fans had left the game. And we played all the way through the night. We took all the players outside the gate, all the cast, everyone thanked the fans. And at that point, I was like, we're on to something. And then they started telling everyone. And we started just selling out game after game after game because people said they're doing something we've never seen before at a baseball game.
0: And you were competitive as well. How does, I mean, that,
1: I mean, I, that's the story that we, we focus on fun first. And what we realize is when you have fun, you perform better. So yes, uh, we had some, we had a lot of guys that ended up getting drafted top round picks. We had a really good squad and we had to teach those guys because the media was asking, how do you feel like playing for a team named after a fruit? And we had to actually coach those guys up on how to be positive about the name and stuff. So yeah, they, they started playing well and it was a, just, it was a magical, magical situation season to sell out of the games to win a championship and at that point we knew we were on to something
0: all right so the the you're still in the coastal plain league though right so this is only a what two month three month kind of endeavor per year yep. is that right okay so uh, number one uh, continuing on from your success earlier um how is this team looked upon at the re- in the rest of the league Do, are they enjoying this uh, another uh, extra level of attention or are they not because you're such a, an outlier so to speak
1: Yeah, it wasn't that bad that year. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't until like the next year where we introduced the breakdancing base coach that I started to get more criticism from the league because what I realized and fans first entertain always, I go, still, we're really good in between innings. We're really good before the game, but during the game, we're not, we, we can get better. And so I had this idea, this dream, you know, maybe inspired by Max Patkin back in the day. But I said, could we get an actual breakdancing base coach that does the moonwalk, the single ladies, does the Carlton, is dancing while giving signs coaching first. And it took a year of doing auditions and finally finding a guy who had no clue, didn't know baseball at all. I had to teach him when to go out. He actually ran out in the wrong inning once. (laughs) He ran out when we weren't even up. Um, But we had him go out that first night. And again, a draw dropping moment. Everyone had cameras. Sports Center put it on the top ten. It was it was big. And then the owner started to say even more: "You're distracting our players from the game. You're starting to disrupt the baseball." And that's where we started getting a lot more pushback.
0: Well, I mean, it's yeah. It, 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 it's not like you're bringing Eddie Goodell to the game, right? You know, and you and you're you're, you're having a, a three foot five. I don't know how tall he was. Uh, <laughs> it, during the game and stuff. I mean, that's not injurious to the game. It's not like mini Minoso. You know, in his 60s, coming in for an at bat. I mean, uh, it, that arguably is is futzing with the game a bit, right? I mean, you know, um,
1: I mean, that's the, like obviously right now when we have a batter on stilts come up and we have batters do splits in the batter's box and guys come up to the bats on fire. All those things that we do now, yes, but that's banana ball. But back then, you're right. We just it was a break. Da- it was a break dancing coach who was dancing pretty hard uh, in his innings that he was coaching.
0: All right. So so you, this is a six or seven year journey in the Coastal Plain League. So. Last uh, the last uh, past summer, right, was uh, your your last year in the league. So, g- give me give our audience a sense of where your heads are at uh, in terms of making this um, uh, pretty significant decision to leave this league, frankly, the league that you've known you've known for a decade plus, and uh, reinventing this team as uh, dare I say, it, the Harlem Globetrotters of baseball this coming season for the first time.
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's a uh, conversation we can go into because I've done extensive research on the globe Charter, so I can take that a few different ways, But <laughs> uh, and, I, and I will. But uh, yeah, everything we do is, again, it sounds like a broken record, but you know, I just had a two-hour orientation with all of our guys as we get ready for our world tour, and that's all we talk about. We share fans' first stories. We share why we do what we do and who we are and, and all the decisions that we make. And so you know, when you're looking at the actual game and what was happening, you know, We were starting to sell out every single game in Savannah. We were starting to develop like a wait list, but fans were still leaving games early. And there were still points in a game an inning would drag. There would be too many walks. There were all these things that were boring. And how we start, the starting point for innovation is we start with fans first, but then we say, what are those friction points and what are those frustration points in the experience of a fan? And, you know, that's why, you know, we literally we have no sponsors at our stadium. That's why we have one ticket. It's all inclusive here in Savannah. That's why we have no ticket fees. Every decision is that way. So I said the game, there's still a challenge with the game. And I just kept saying it's, it's still too long. It's still too slow. And we actually started taking uh, pictures and video of our grandstand every 30 minutes, 536, 637, 738, just to see when people would get up when they'd leave and then when they would they leave for good. And we realized, we don't believe in surveys. Surveys is a small percentage of people. You know, Henry Ford didn't survey people to see if they wanted cars. Uh, The reality is we were just watching our fans. And we realized by 9 o'clock, you'd have about 10, 20, 25% leave. By 9.30, it could be up to 40, 40% on a a weeknight. And by 10 o'clock, you had a very small percentage of people that were at the game. And so I said, we got to make a change. And so everything we do is a small bet. So I said, I'm going to work on just rules of looking at a new game that looks at every Boring part of baseball. Every friction point, and do the exact opposite. Look at every way that the game is watched. So I remember watching a. It was a Dodgers game, and I don't watch baseball anymore as a baseball guy, which is interesting. And I was watching a Dodgers game, and Yasil Puig was playing, and I actually had a timer going of what the time was in between pitches, and he'd go out. And every single, it was a long at bat. It was a 3-2 uh, count. He ended up, he ended up uh, popping out. And I remember watching the at bat, and it was anywhere between 28 and 37 seconds in between every pitch. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I go, why doesn't he just stand in the batter's box? And it was like he's taking so much time. I was like, that's ridiculous. Then I watched walks. I was like, that is, that's boring. And I started just thinking about all these opportunities. And we started writing down ideas, sharing them with the team. And so we said, hey, let's just test this game. And we didn't have a name for it. It wasn't banana ball like it was now. It's just kind of like, is it speedball? Is it show ball? Is it fastball? Let's test it out. And we wrote down, you know, these nine rules. And we went to a college. First, we were going to play at Wofford College because uh, obviously I went there. And the coach was like, all right, we'll give this a shot in our fall ball. Ironically, it rained out. So the first ever goal to play banana ball, it got rained out. And so then I went to Lander University and because our former coach at Wofford was now coaching there. And we played it. And we played nine innings. In 99 minutes, and I talked to the guys, and they said it was the most fun they've ever had playing baseball. And I was like, "That's a good first test." And so that's when we started building it. And so how do we leave the Coastal Plain League? We tested that again in exhibition games. Then we t- had a pro team going on, and we tested a one-city world tour in Mobile, Alabama, which again ridiculous, but we got cities kind of bidding to see where we would go. Sold 7,000 tickets. 98% of the fans stayed till the end of the game. Then we did a seven-city tour this past year. And sold out minor major league spring training home sold out everything fans loved it and then we were still playing the coastal plain league and we ended up selling out all these other ballparks in the coastal plain league but we had to play regular baseball and we couldn't bring the show and we got thousands of messages people calling a scam artists. And it's like, because you're not doing banana ball. You're not doing this. We bought tickets and traveled 10 hours to go to Wilson or Wilmington, North Carolina. And you didn't do this. We had so many fans that were upset with us for playing traditional baseball and not bringing banana ball that we said it's the most fans first decision we can make is to go all in on banana ball. And we made that decision and upset a lot of people, frustrated a lot of people. But we know it's the best thing for us in the future.
0: So how do you okay? so it is a bold move, right? And obviously you're playing. You've got collegiate players as your sort of source of of talent. So this is also a break, maybe for them to make a decision whether they want to join the uh, the traveling show, so to speak, or you know b- retreat maybe to another team in the league or go go up to the Cape Cod League and stuff because I they want to you know go for the go for the actual you know pro uh, dream still. But I guess the question is. Um, Okay, so you make that decision that you're getting more a, a, attraction, I guess, to this new brand that you're you're creating. But but that's that's quite a different. I mean, why not continue to play the league stuff and and just fan out the exhibition stuff, right? It seems like that could be a more viable model than throwing more dice out there and saying, "Screw it, we're just going to go on a tour and not even play a regular season." Um, Because that's that's a bold move, and and that requires different sensibilities, both of your staff, the players, your commitment, and frankly, the product that you're selling, which is, some would argue, not baseball, so to speak.
1: It's not. It's banana ball, and we're proud of that. A two-hour time game where batters can't step out of the batter's box. There's no bunting. Batters can steal first. If a fan catches a foul ball, it's an out, uh, and there's showdowns to determine the end of the game, pitcher versus hitter. It's our first game on ESPN this past year our bat our pitcher struck out the leadoff guy in 10.2 seconds major league just put in a 15 second pitch clock we're striking guys out in 10 10 seconds it's a completely different game and we're proud of that so yeah why would we not why would we not keep the league again it goes to fans first and i think one thing and i say this i'm not trying to people see moves in a vacuum um they don't see necessarily, I watched the Queen's Gambit and it was a great, I love that show because she's constantly seeing the whole chessboard. I'm not focused on the next quarter or the next tour. I'm focused on the next quarter century. I'm focused on what we're going to be doing in 2050. And, and it's just, when you think about that, we're not the Globetrotters. We got a completely different plan than the Globetrotters. And what I'm watching with the game, we had our practice yesterday. And these guys are throwing 90-plus miles an hour. They're hitting balls over the fence. I mean, they're unbelievably talented pro guys. And they also did 14 tricks. Our right fielder caught three line drives barehanded. Our center fielder did two backflip catches in the middle of a game. Our shortstop's catching the ball through his legs and throwing it through his legs to get outs. And these are all real-time plays that literally could happen in a major league game. And I'm watching this. I'm like, "This this banana ball is something truly special. And I believe we're in a TikTok world. We're getting entertained at our fingertips every seven seconds. We're creating a game where every at bat something can happen with the hitter, the pitcher, the fielder that you've never seen before in a baseball field, and that excites me more than anything.
0: All right. So explain to me uh, what you're in the middle of now and preparing for. What's coming up this uh, this uh, upcoming quote unquote season, uh, and where the how are you uh, 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 convincing the players and the coaches and all that stuff to uh, to sign on? Where are you? Are players are you getting more interest uh, from the player base or are they self-selecting that kind of stuff? Yeah. At,
1: fir- at first we didn't, you know, again, no one wanted to play for us. So I say this like humbly, like it was no one want to play for us. But then when they saw us, like, you know, Jake Peavy joined us last year and Josh Reddick and Jonathan Papelbon and Johnny Gomes and Johnny bench. And I'm getting reached out to almost every week for major leaguers that just see the fun and they want to have. And so when you're part of these, you know, we have first rounders that are playing on our team. Now we've got guys that have been playing pro ball for five, 10 years. And so we've attracted, but yeah, we, we look for a talented ball player that's also entertaining we ask what are your talents you know can you dance can you juggle can you sing i mean our second baseman, personality
0: that, too i'm assuming too right As what's that personality Oh, I'm sorry, what that? You're looking for people with personality too, right? Yeah, to oh,
1: yeah. Them, I mean, right? 100%. I mean, one of our players has over a million followers, Jackson Olsen. I mean, these guys are getting huge followings. Again, we're trying to connect with fans. Everything we do is fans first. And so, what I think there's a big challenge with it's hard for uh, fans to connect with a Mike Trout. You know, you just don't know him. And so, we're really showcasing who these people are. Our, our main pitcher pitches in a cowboy hat. And so this past Halloween, we had hundreds of kids, parents sent us pictures of their kids being our players and even some dressing up in a crazy yellow tuxedo like me. I don't know where you can get a kid's yellow tuxedo, but w- what because they're able to connect and they see the fun. And, you know, now that we're fortunate, we have over 4 million, uh, 4 million, you know, followers on TikTok, which is three million more than any major league baseball team. And to see what's happening, I, I think we've really struck a chord with trying to deliver that fun that people
0: really haven't been able to see in the game uh, as recently. All right. So tell me about this world tour. It starts literally as we're recording this in about a uh, 10 days time. Uh, yeah. How much is in Savannah? How much is on the road? And uh, I mean, quote unquote, how's it going so far in terms of uh, the prep sure. and the sales and the attention and stuff. I, I assume yeah. you're off to a pretty darn good start, given how many sold out things you have here on the website, on the schedule.
1: Yeah, we're very fortunate. Again, you know, from sleeping on an airbed seven years ago to where we are now. Um, so we have uh, 90 plus games. We're playing in 33 cities. Uh, we've had to add 20 dates, and this is a real number. And I just, our waitlist just passed over 500,000 for tickets, and uh, we're growing a thousand to two thousand on the waitlist. So every market is. Everything's sold out. We have saved a couple hundred tickets to give that waitlist a chance, but everything is beyond sold out. Um, we're at a serious challenge. Our waitlist is going to be over a million people uh, in the next three to five months, and we—that's why we're fortunate. Major league stadiums have been reaching out uh, for 2024 to play in front of 40,000 and the biggest venues. So a lot of these smaller venues, you know, we're going to. Triple A stadiums and spring training homes. We're playing stadiums 10, 12, 14,000, but those are all sold out. There's just not enough inventory, and we're adding different nights. So uh, we're very fortunate, and we're playing 22 different Challenger games. We're playing the Major League Alumni, Kansas City Monarchs. We're playing the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, the Trenton Thunder. We're playing other independent teams, so that's why it's really not like the Globetrotters. Yes, we have the party animals, but we're really trying to prove that the game of banana ball uh, is legit and you can play it against other teams. And we did that last year with the Monarchs on the ESPN special, uh, episode five and seeing Matt Adams and Pete Kuzma and all those, these pro guys, you know, have fun and play competitively was really a joy to
0: watch. How about the rule book though? How do these teams prepare for you? Or, I mean, are you, is that a, have you published yeah. that?
1: Yeah, we have official rule book. And uh, yes, yeah, so that's we're getting a lot more teams and markets and tournaments that are looking to do officially licensed banana ball games. Uh, we're about to unveil something out in the next week or so that actually makes that even more official. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's a nine basic rules and there's a few little addendums to it. But it's baseball just much faster and all the really slow parts are changed to be you know, more exciting and more entertaining.
0: Um, okay, so um, I, I, and obviously I'm gonna but I got to figure out a way to get to either your Peoria or your Milwaukee games uh, somehow, and I'll just uh, beg and, and and maybe just uh, get a ticket on on the side. Um,
1: don't don't go to bro. That's a whole other conversation. Uh, okay. So I okay. Yeah, I just
0: turned down a million-dollar order
1: from uh, a ticket reseller. A ticket reseller wanted to buy a huge group of tickets for every night and charge double. It would have been about $500,000 in extra profit, but I turned down immediately. Uh, the challenge is ticket resellers and scalpers are charging tickets three, $400, uh, 10 plus, 10 times face value. So, uh, yes, I, I hopefully don't go that route. That, that really frustrates me when people have to pay that t- that amount to come to one of our games.
0: So, uh, all right, a couple of quickies, and then we'll uh, want to get to the sort of wind-up question uh, sort of on the end about baseball. Because um, you mentioned the party animals as the as the team you're playing, are they essentially the? I hate to keep using the analogy, the Washington Generals uh, of 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 your um, uh, as your competitor versus the challenger games that you're doing. And where do you find that talent to to be yeah. those players?
1: hundred percent. And let me be clear: like I am I am flattered and honored. I understand the comparison to the Globetrotters, and in the Globetrotters in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, they changed the game of basketball. I mean, the NBA was booking them to help sell tickets to their games. The Globetrotters sold out Madison Square Garden twice in the same day. I mean, they had Wilt Chamberlain, and they played in front of 75,000 people in Berlin. I mean, they were everything. Um, So I understand that comparison. It's just – it's different because the party animals – uh, they beat the bananas. I mean, the la- they won the last four games of the tour. It's a complete, legit, competitive game on the field, um, but they're both very talented teams that also the goal is to entertain and bring fun. So that's kind of one of the biggest difference. But yeah, the party animals will play 50, 60 games, and uh, they're stacked. I mean, they like I said, they got first-rounders. They got tons of guys playing pro ball last year. Uh, they're they're legit, and I think it's going to be... a. they might be actually a little more favored than the bananas this year, to to be honest.
0: Are are, are they owned and operated by you or are they a separate entity altogether?
1: Yep. They're, they're under our umbrella. So we, we train and coach and and we, I mean, every day they're out here, we have entertainment practice rehearsals uh, where we're doing all of our entertainment stuff and then they're doing our, their social media stuff and then they're having their baseball stuff. So it's a full day of both teams working hard and then competing against each other. All
0: right. So here's sort of the, the multi-part sort of final sort of set of questions here. So, What you're doing with Banana Ball, right, uh, in many respects is also, um, uh, to the outside observer, probably also, maybe unwittingly, helping change uh, thought process around the traditional game's rule base as well, right? Uh, How much do you feel that what you've done thus far is either currently or potentially in the future influencing, perhaps, the evolution of the traditional baseball game, I'm probably for good, right, with timing. and like, Because the timing of this is really interesting, right? The, the quote-unquote new rules that are coming into Major League Baseball after some experimentation in the minor leagues, I mean, your uh, conversion to this touring and branded style of, of the game uh, is coming almost at the, at the time where it seems like Major League Baseball is recognizing that they've got a product problem.
1: Yeah. And I think that's very kind. I mean, I, I, it's something I don't think about. You know, I, I've been asked that before. It's like, you, you think you're making an impact on, on the game. And I think, you know, every night we're trying to create the greatest show in sports and deliver the best fan experience. Like that's, I put all my focus, all my ideas, everything in our team goes into that. Um, if it helps the game, great. We just... You know, we've seen major league attendance obviously decline 13 million plus over the last 15 years, and little league participation decline. And we know the average baseball fan is now in their 60s. We see the challenges, and I just, you know, every day I'm playing for and our players are playing for often them as a kid, you know, trying to get those six, seven, eight year olds to want to go out and just have fun and not be so competitive and not be so serious and be able to connect with the players. I mean, I used to do the Hideo Nomo lineup. I used to do the Nomar Garcia pair, you know, batting gloves. I used to turn my hat around backwards like Ken Griffey Jr. We're all of us, the bananas and the party animals, we're going to be doing all of that stuff so kids can connect with the players and try to emulate who they are and who they want to be. And I think there's a big opportunity in Major League Baseball to, to do more of that. The NBA has done a tremendous job, and you know soccer and NFL. And I, I, if we can help spark that for kids, great. If it affects baseball as a whole,
0: amazing. It's an interesting time uh, that you're uh, uh, embarking on this uh, this world tour and the banana ball brand, so to speak, uh, uh, beyond just the Savannah market, um, because baseball, I think, has recognized uh, begrudgingly, perhaps, that they've gotten a there's an issue with the product right and the national league and the american league there's no distinctions anymore they're all playing each other the pitch clock is coming in um it's just an interesting time um i guess the question in there is um what do you think is happening to baseball and frankly the minor leagues is it is it any fun anymore during the minor leagues because they're so now marching to the same drumbeat of major league baseball as an overlord
1: yeah, it's an interesting question, and and, and to be honest, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. I guess I stay in the, the bubble, focusing on what we can do. But I I, I think uh, I think Major League Baseball has really a unique opportunity to look at the relationship they're building with their fans. And yes, they're growing, and they're they're driving the most revenue they've ever had. They broke the record again on revenue and the TV rights deals and everything. But bringing back to you know, I remember watching the when it was a game on HBO Sports, and you show you know literally during spring training the the fans cooking brownies and cookies for the players, and them interacting, and just the connection. I think right now because fans can connect with anybody. I mean that's why YouTube influencers and TikTokers have millions and millions of followers because you're getting to know them, you're getting to know who they are and what they're about and what they're they like and what they don't like. And I think right now Major League Baseball has to think about that. Yes, you got to make the product better, and it's got to be faster, and it's got to be more engaging. But more than anything, I think you got to break down the barriers between the players and the fans, and that's the number one thing we are looking at doing right now with the bananas.
0: Will there be any television or other media uh, for this, or is this solely a an experience that one has to hopefully secure a ticket to?
1: No. Yeah. We were fortunate. We had a great deal with ESPN this past year. So we had eight games on ESPN plus and ESPN two. And, uh, we are getting reached out to pretty regularly for our our TV rights because, uh, our ratings are very, very high to say the least because of our following. So, you know, we were putting very strong ratings out, uh, on the ESPN plus and even on our YouTube. So we will have the games available on our YouTube. We know that if we're playing at a 10,000 stadium, uh, you know, we could have 10 times that plus, uh, which we're showing watching our games on YouTube. So yep, we'll have the games live there. It is a different experience from live with our banana pep band and our breakdancing coaches. And all of our characters, Princess Potassia, where you get to see it a live experience, but obviously you'll get to see the game of Banana Ball uh, either on YouTube or with some of these new broadcast partners that have been reaching out to us.
0: All right, and last question, and then I'm going to let you promote, which is kind of dangerous for somebody like yourself. But uh, right. uh, but you've got other stuff too, like the book and stuff. So um, can you give some hints? I mean, I know you need to still do a post-mortem. This is the first time you're going sort of on this sort of extended Uh, beyond just your market thing, or outside of the leagues, your first year doing this new sort of model. Um, Are there any kind of sort of just kind of things that you think are on the next three to five-year horizon? Uh, I mean, don't give away any secrets, so to speak, or or some of your evil or or good genius behind you, but what do you think this evolves to based on a preseason thus far without a year under your belt yet?
1: Well, we actually had a year on our belt. So last year we did seven cities. So we did Kansas City. We did Major League Spring Training Homes in West Palm. We played banana ball and we're very fortunate to. That's what really we learned so much, uh, you know, playing in front of 75,000 fans doing banana ball in different cities. Now, obviously, going coast to coast, California to New York to 32 cities playing in front of 550,000 fans. uh, It'll be a bigger test. But yeah, I mean. We've been so fortunate. Again, we've heard from about 12 to 15 major league stadiums that have made offers for us to play at their stadium in 2024. Um, we're looking at playing. We got a lot of international opportunities. We're going to create some international tournaments of banana ball. Um, we're going to really continue to build the game of banana ball because we just believe it's a faster-paced, more entertaining uh, game for the younger generation. You know, we look at boxing and UFC. Boxing is is great. It'll always be great. Um, and then you know, obviously UFC came around for a younger generation. And you know, we. We see that similar with baseball major league baseball is going to be the best baseball in the world forever i've no question about that but you know are we more of that uh ufc a little bit disrupted doing a younger audience i, th- I think so and, and so that's what we're gonna build and there's a lot of people that have reached out and you know or you could about uh, building a banana ball league and you know there's things that we think about in the future but everything we're doing is trying to go to these different cities different markets and build the fan base connect with them uh and create something special and and see where we go from there so yeah. i I would I would I would I wouldn't be shocked if you see uh, uh, some a lot more banana ball in the future.
0: okay well that, that 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 the league word was what I was listening for. and that's interesting because that that's a whole sort of uh, uh, other level and uh, and we, we've seen sort of that in a lot of our explorations and stuff. And yeah, you're right. you also it clearly seems like you know where, you f- could fit in sort of the sports landscape and and you recognize right and, and then this is actually very historical right i mean the the, the two centuries almost uh, or a century and a half at least of of american sports innovation and evolution and stuff right is um has been fueled by uh outsiders and and innovators uh, trying to not only perhaps tinker within the boundaries but trying to create you know disruption if you will and evolution from the outside and Maybe it's not fully uh, uh, architected yet, but um, it's clear your fans' first kind of mentality. Uh, All you're doing is you're 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 recognizing uh, some of the uh, the issues, the pitfalls, the the distractions, the 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 boringness of some of the traditional game, and just trying to make better with a better product.
1: (laughs) Uh, The the simplification, I think, is is great. I mean, you look at even to T20 in cricket. What's happened? I mean, good analogy. I mean, that's that's what we've been compared to as well. And I think people on the outside just see all the clips and the craziness in the circus. But it's a very talented, uh, exciting game to watch, even without all the hijinks. And so that's what we're building. And, yeah, I, you know, it's fun. I think the key is we tell everyone on our staff, our players, our team, follow your energy. If it's giving you energy, let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. And I have more energy in our cast. I mean, we travel with 125 to 130 people to every city. That's four times what the Globetrotters travel with. I mean we are going all out. The pep band, the mail cheerleading team, the breakdowns of coaches, all the talent, the hosts, the DJs. We bring everything. And we're doing what's unscalable because we're obsessed with creating fans. And we're going to try to create the best experience. And I think in the long run that hopefully will work out.
0: All right. Uh, besides the tour, uh, so uh, uh – Uh, let's promote here. So uh, tell us how fans can at least find out what cities you're in and getting on waiting lists. And then also tell me about uh, the book that's coming out in May because frankly, that also seems like another uh, angle of the evolution of this business of yours uh, almost into a, I'm going to call it sort of, it's almost like these are business lessons that are also uh, perhaps applicable to people's uh, business lives and maybe even their personal lives beyond just Hey, here's a cool team that's coming to play a new brand of of sport, right?
1: Yeah, I appreciate. It. Well, we're easy to find. It's funny. I, I you know, I, uh, I'd rather just add value than than try to promote anything in the sense. But yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, the bananas are easy to find on all the social media. I spend most of my time on LinkedIn, and I share the journey, the stories. Uh, fortunate to have, yeah, my third book coming out uh, in May. Uh, Banana Ball and that was, you know, Penguin reached out to us and we're working with Don Yeager and just because of what's been happening, you know, sharing the really origins of how this all happened. And yes, there's lessons and stories and things people never heard of before. The first two books, Find Your Yellow Tux, after I got the opportunity to give a keynote speech uh, in front of a group of accountants at Profit, ProfitCon, Uh, They said you have to write that in a book and I put out a book and been very fortunate with that and then fans first is really the ethos of who we are that came out last May and that is about the five E's to create raving fans and it's something I've been fortunate to share all over the country in speeches, but also just it's it's what built us and how I think any company can look, think about their how they do things. It's not about chasing customers, especially with sports teams. It's not about trying to drive sales or drive revenue. It's try to create fans, and if you do that, the revenue, the profits, the sales, the business, everything else takes care of itself. So I love share the business journeys because uh, you know you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I've spent probably more time with Walt Disney, P. T. Barnum, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, you know Circus L. A., WWE, Grateful Dead. That's where I learn from so much, and I try to apply it to what we're doing. And and I love sharing.
0: All right. Well, I, uh, um, I apologize. I thought the, uh, I didn't know that the book is, is, has been out for a year. It's in paperback now and all that kind of stuff. So uh, th- we'll, we'll promote the heck out of all of those.
1: Well, well, that's, you don't need to, that's fans first. So fans first And buying the Banana Ball comes out in May. So Banana Ball is the one with Penguin Hi. and Dark Baker. Yep.
0: Okay. Fantastic. Uh, we look forward to not all that, um, but we also look forward to, uh, and we wish you nothing but success on this uh, incredible next chapter of your journey, um, and uh, I, I'm sh- I'm sure the adventure is uh, going to be another level. And hopefully, documentation of that—not just video, but perhaps the another book that sort of outlines the whole year and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I cannot imagine what um, fun awaits you as you uh, literally have the ability to bring Banana Ball, the team, the whole ethos uh, to other parts of the of the United States. And, and it would seem to me like you're well on your way to um, further spreading uh, this thing that you've uh, uh, uniquely created for yourself. And um, I'm just honored that we had the chance to talk to you as you continue to ascend uh, and just remember us down the road when you get, get to that other level that uh, we were uh, hopefully in your on your side. Certainly not in the beginning, but maybe in the middle of it.
1: No, that's very kind. Like I said, I'm a fan of your show. I've listened to a lot of episodes, the the research you do and the in-depth. And you know, I've learned from the the stories of the ABA and some of these other leagues. And I've done so much research and you've helped with that. So I I appreciate you and the time that you put into it. And and definitely let's stay in touch. Uh, We feel like we're just in the first inning right now. So we've got a long journey and we're excited for it.
0: All right. Fantastic. Uh, And boy, this is going to be some fun summer for sure. The Savannah Bananas come into a town near you. You want to see the schedule and see uh, where perhaps uh, you can get onto the waiting list. Tickets are already sold out completely. But if you want to get on a waiting list for these various markets uh, around the country uh, and uh, literally learn about uh, the rest of all of it, uh, the team, the story, uh, the gear to get, of course. Um, they even have camps, uh, all kinds of great stuff. The place to go is the savannah bananas.com. And don't forget to spell savannah correctly. That's S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H. The Savannah bananas.com. and you'll see all of that stuff. Uh, and we're talking about the Midwest, the East Coast, uh, the West Coast, uh, a little bit of uh, everything in between as well. Um, should be dynamite should be also on television uh as well and also uh as your companion either to traveling to those games uh or instead of uh a couple of books for you the one that's coming out in may depending on when you're listening to this it will drop in may uh is called banana ball it is going to be this story it's uh, co-written between jesse and don uh, jaeger uh it is published by dutton Uh, The subtitle is The Unbelievably True Story, as you can uh, imagine in our conversation of the Savannah Bananas. Uh, That comes out in uh, early May. Uh, And the uh, two books that are currently out, more uh, a bit of inspirational, I think, uh, uh, learnings from uh, what Jesse and his his team have uh, evolved and learned. And I would argue more applicable to say your own business or uh your uh, career and that kind of stuff Uh, one is called fans first uh, change the game break the rules uh, and create an unforgettable experience So a little bit of the a taste of the of what's been going on with the savannah bananas and the other one uh, is called find your yellow tux how to be successful by standing out Uh, and those books are also available uh, and they've been uh, out there for a little while, uh, we encourage you to get those too. The best place, of course, uh, and uh, giving us a few shekels of referral love uh, is to go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com. Just search up this episode number 291 with Jesse Cole, and uh, you will uh, find convenient links to all three of those books, uh, even if the, uh, the first one is still in a pre-order fashion. Uh, and we'll get a, uh, we'll get a pat on the back, if you will, and maybe a couple of pennies thrown our way, and we appreciate that. While you're there, of course, you'll see every stinking episode we've ever done. Uh, If you just want to stream it there or grab grab one and send it to a friend or two to get them hopefully hooked on the show. Of course, you can subscribe or follow us wherever podcasts are found. Literally, there is no place that's legit out there that our podcast is not available. So there is no excuse not to subscribe or follow or whatever it is to ensure that you get every single episode the minute, the second, uh, the nanosecond that uh, it is available. Uh, best way to follow us. Of course, on social media, too. Uh, on Twitter, you'll find us at Good Seats Still. Uh, on Instagram, we're at Good Seats Still Available. And on Facebook, there's a little page devoted to us there, too. Good Seats Still Available. Uh, our email address, please, by all means, send us uh, your good, your bad, your indifferent thoughts. Uh, we always appreciate it at hello at Good Seats Still And our thanks, of course, as always to the great Jerry Payne. Jerry Payne, audio excellence. Uh, There is none better uh, than the great Dr. Jerry Payne. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, until next week, we will see you. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye.